Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, my homie, for part two with Dr. Nicole LaPera, where we're exposing signs of incompatibility in your relationships and guiding you to take responsibility and all starting by looking in the mirror. Guys, I know it's always hard to look inwards instead of blaming people on the outside. It is so much easier to blame other people. But trust me, I've been there and it doesn't serve you. It doesn't get you what you want. It doesn't get you the relationship that you actually desire because you're always waiting for them to change. You're waiting for them to show up differently. But today we're talking about us. Now, if you've ever felt like your partner's point of view was just a slap in the face, guys, hold on a second. Because before you dismiss it as just being gaslit, Nicole is pulling back the curtain on how their difference of opinion may not actually be an attack on you. So whether you're feeling incompatible and disjointed in your romantic relationship or lifelong relationships with your family, we're looking at ways to see ourselves and others in total honesty. And so without waiting or wasting another minute, let's dive into part two with the world-renowned psychologist Nicole LaPera on today's episode of Women of Impact. Because I remember Tom would, um, you know, throws his socks on the floor and just lose his dirty plate. <laughs> and like growing up in a Greek family where it's like you eat, you pick up your plate, uh-huh. you tidy. Like I actually perceived that to be disrespectful. Yes. And it wasn't until we had the conversation and the communication of like, this feels really disrespectful. Because I would just get upset. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe it, you know. <laughs> Um, but then over time, I was just like, this is really disrespectful. And he was shocked because he's yeah. like, what do you mean? Like from where I come from, like in my household, why would I take time to pick up my socks if I can spend time with you? You know, and it'll be, Beautiful then it's like chills, almost yeah. your, yeah, your interpretation of those things and what disrespect means to you versus what disrespect means to that person. Absolutely. I'm really happy you shared that as a common one because I would explode when I would come home from work, usually later than Lolly, so she would be home. If the dishes weren't done, if there wasn't my hot dinner on the table, exactly like what I saw growing up and what I received growing up, I would explode or shut myself in the room and say nothing's wrong when it was. And what I came to learn is not only in her own childhood, they did not have shared meal times. Everyone fended for themselves. So she's like, what do you mean? We sit together and we eat the same thing. That's never anything I've ever done in any relationship. More so, her mom was very hyperreactive when she did not do things as her mom expected when her room wasn't tidy, when she did leave a dish out. So now I'm enacting more or less, not even knowing it because I'm so hurt because she's my language and not disrespect. She's not considering me mm-hmm. and what I need, which is my hot dinner and the, t- and the dishes done, right? I'm actually in my explosive moment because my feelings are hurt, not to invalidate how I was feeling because that was real. I'm actually creating her own kind of cycle of trauma because she's going right back to her childhood where her mom is yelling at her and she's sitting there dumbfounded because again, like Tom in many ways, she was excited to tell me about her day and hear about my day and I'm yelling about the dishes that aren't done. So we were completely mismatched. And I just like to highlight both sides of it because what felt very crappy, I know for me, when those things weren't done, I'm sure for you and you're being disrespected by the socks on the floor, feels just as crappy when we're having a reaction that our partners can't make sense of or that's going against what they're seeing or what their intentions or their actions are indicating otherwise. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think you call it in your book, you witness your conditioned self and you tell the story of Mona. So talk to me about that, where she is interpreting the entire scenario in one way and then actually it's not that. Yeah. And again, what are interpretations? Let's just start there are based in the most frequent interpretations that our childlike mind made sense of our earliest experiences. And right, so then we assign all of these meanings, like I was sharing earlier, we learn about who we are, we learn about who others are, we learn about what behaviors or lack of behaviors mean. And then because we are driven to those familiar pathways in our brain, we don't come up with new scenarios, we revisit those old ideas. So what a conditioned self is, is kind of the neurobiological manifestation or this entire way of being 
that is for a lot of us wired in our nervous system and it's dysregulation and these cycles of emotional addiction we were talking about, right? These highs and lows. And I've become so familiar with these highs and lows that this is just my, you know, her, my cocktail of, of uh, neurotransmitters, of hormones and my familiar. And so that's what a conditioned self simply is, is my entire way of being that has become so familiar to me down to the ingrained beliefs that I have about me and my relationships that them, then become those filters that I'm dropping over what's happening. So Mona and I give many different story examples um, within the book of illustrating all the different conditioned selves. Um, but they are simply this idea that we're recreating our past in absence of it being our present moment. And we're seeing through the filter of what happened and what we believe to be true we're seeing in our partner's actions and our inactions exactly, and we're feeling more so in our body, exactly what once was, even if it's not the case at all. And so by identifying your conditioned self from the get-go, is that becomes the foundation that you can then use as a compass? It becomes, I think, whenever we can become conscious of our way of being, we allow ourselves to take that second step to create change, which is beginning to change that dynamic, right? Putting up the boundary, not watering down or suppressing what I really think or what I really feel and saying it um, or whatever it might be. We give ourselves that ability to make a choice. And again, I want to be really intentional here because becoming aware that we have a conditioned self or, you know, we are the overachiever in a relationship or the underachiever who shrinks ourselves down or the caretaker who's always in service of someone else. Those are three of them. Becoming aware of it isn't going to stop that pattern from happening, mm. right? We're going to feel compelled. Our mind's going to tell us we should show up in this way because again, that's the belief that's coming to play. We're going to feel at times like we can't resist and we can't stop doing that same thing, shrinking ourselves, or, you know, overstepping our boundaries to do something for someone else. So it's becoming aware the condition self doesn't go away immediately, though over time making new choices which again, often include navigating our body and all of those emotions and calming down those dysregulated moments over time, we can create a new habit. Um, but I do think a lot of us have the idea that the awareness is gonna, oh, okay, I'm an overachiever, I'll just stop being that. Mm -hmm. um, and in reality, that, that isn't the case. It's actually the daily practice of creating a new habit um, where over time then that doesn't become the case. So very much, I still have all of those habits wired in. Um, actually, I've funny little aside that you and I were sharing in terms of guilt and feeling bad and me feeling like a burden came up when uh, you and I were having a text earlier, right? And I was saying I had this whole created story um, of <laughs> having spoken something without having run it by you first, even though you've told me on multiple occasions, it's totally okay. Like, you know, this is open, this is welcome. And in my mind, because I have, again, this idea that I'm a burden and no one actually wants to be there and show up in, you know, kind of reciprocal support of me, I was kind of going down that same conditioned way of being like, who am I to want or need something from somebody? And oh my God, I've upset Lisa. And oh my gosh. And I spent all this time feeling guilty and bad, even in absence of any reason to believe. I mean, you've actually told me the complete opposite. Yeah. You even texted me the complete opposite, affirming that there was no reason for me to feel bad. And yet my guilt is still there because there's still that very conditioned part of me um, that feels bad having wants and needs in a relationship, having them expressed, having space for them expressed, but alone having someone receive them and meet them. So I just wanted to use mm. that example because I think it very much applies to everything we're talking about. It doesn't go away, but what I've learned to do is become present to it, to navigate my feel bads um, without saying, no, it's fine, you know, I won't. Um, and to actually receive the support and the love and the connection that you so generously offer me. Oh, I mean, ditto. <laughs> we're, we're literally doing the same. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, no, I was going to say, I'm sorry. So why are we both apologizing? Neither of us feel badly about either. So it's like, it's all good. Um, I love that. Um, but the story, the story with Mona that I really love, because I'm always, again, trying to play like almost devil's advocate and think about what that other scenario is and then how people navigate it. So Mona, I believe, had like a childhood wound where if someone didn't, um, answer her or get back to her. She felt like rejected. And so she's dating this guy. She's married to a guy and she ends up, um, t I think, texting him. Is that right? Like texts him, doesn't get back. And so she's like, oh my God, is he upset with me? So then she's like calling him and he's not answering. And so like she's wondering, does she do like the drive-by to go yes. see if his car's there? And like, it's just escalated, escalated, escalated in her mind about like, he's abandoned me. He's cheating on me. Like all these negative thoughts are going in her head. And then it turns out the poor guy's phone died. 
And so, you know, it going straight to voicemail or, you know, him not texting back. For him seems very normal, but for her, she's got this whole story in her head about what just happened. So taking that story, understanding what you were saying, right? She like um, sees herself, she understands her habits, she understands why she's like that, and then tries to pause to then take stock to then potentially, hopefully in the future, when that happens, process that, hey, there's probably a reason this is your childhood wounds coming up. What happens though? Um, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but I'd like to go a little deeper. What happens though when you're with somebody that actually ends up using that as a manipulation tactic to then say, you're just being paranoid. And now here they are actually using what you've said to them as their means to be able to manipulate you or I hate to say it and jump straight to it, but potentially cheat on you or, you know, uh, abuse that trust. Yeah, actually, it's it's bringing up a, a past relationship that I had had myself uh, several relationships ago. I was getting kind of an internal ping that there, you know, was possibly something going on actually with my partner at the time and, and a friend of ours. Um, and the whole time I was like having this like kind of gut intuition. I was like sensing a distance between myself and my partner at that time. I was watching their dynamic. Um, and I very bravely and courageously, you know, brought it up on several occasions and it was actually met with some version of you're crazy. That's not what's happening. Why are you being nuts? And I, again, not having that self, that security, um, in my own instincts, I deferred. Okay. I must, I must be crazy. This must be my old, my own stuff, um, coming up. So again, I think the, the deeper part of this conversation is, is creating the space for not only that connection to your intuition, but the ability to validate yourself, even if what you're hearing is is the opposite, right? Even if you're being, it's being denied or you're being lied to or you're trying to be manipulated is being so kind of confident in what it is that you feel and what the reality is for you that even when someone is outright telling you um, that's not the case, you know, that you can kind of rest assured that there is a reason to trust what it is that you're feeling. Because again, when it comes to especially approaching someone, you know, in a cheating circumstance or, you know, around difficult conversations, especially if this person isn't used to having hard conversations, or maybe they don't even want to admit to themselves the truth of what they're doing, let alone, right, admit to you um, and feel the shame that might would come with what it means now for the relationship. You might not always be met with the truth. Um, some people really do struggle to speak the truth, as my partner at that time did, it turned out that I was right. And somehow after the relationship, they ended up, they're, still, they're married now, oh, so wow. good for them. Um, and again, they made sense. And it wasn't about, you know, kind of the nature of their relationship. It was about me in that moment overriding. So I want to continue to put the focus. Mm. Um, I overrode my instinct. I had that ping time and time again. And instead of trusting myself when I knew that to be true, Right. I trust it because I didn't have that practice of validating myself, of standing in my own feelings, of listening. We all have that deeper sensation. Um, there are so many moments where we have those pings of what we know to be true, but we've just learned to squash it down or to believe what someone else is telling us. So I think even in those instances, um, again, while we don't choose for someone to be unfaithful to us or to do something harmful in our relationship, I think how we can empower ourselves is to begin to rebuild that trust um, in that inner guidance and the ability to validate ourselves, even if someone is telling us that we're paranoid and that that isn't the case. Mm. How do you then rebuild that trust within yourself? And then secondly, how do you actually differentiate between um, gut intuition and your conditioning? Yeah, really great question. Um, so rebuilding that trust within yourself builds again with rebuilding for many of us the connection to our physical body where we've become distracted by the you know endless achievements, by the endless relationships that we have to tend to. We become so outward focused. So really re refocusing our attention, attuning to our body, attuning to our emotions. It also means developing the ability to deal with our emotions because what a lot of us confuse intuition for is our nervous system being dysregulated and these habitual patterns, right? So to be able to attune to our intuition means to be able to feel comfortable enough to even drop our attention inward into stillness, to attune to, right, those feelings in my gut or in my heart, those pings oftentimes, right, those deeper sensations or just inner knowings. All of that assumes, right, that my attention is internal, 
And for a lot of us, when we're dysregulated, we don't, I know for me, for many years, I didn't feel safe in stillness. I avoided meditation for a very long time because sitting still wasn't something that my body was comfortable with doing. There was too many emotions and too much nervous system dysregulation. So creating the connection to our body helps us attune. And I go through all the different signs of you know, being stuck in cycles of dysregulation where my heart rate's always elevated, where my muscles are always tense or I'm always clenched, um, where my breathing is always labored, right? As I start to attune to the signals that my body is stressed, then I can get a bit clearer that those sensations are coming from those older habitual patterns, not from my deeper sense of intuition because intuition speaks when we're calm, when we're in a state of grounded presence, when we're breathing calmly and deeply from our belly, when our muscles are relaxed, when our shoulders are turned back, right? When our, when our um, heart rate isn't pounding out of our chest. And these are probably things that listeners might not ever feel um, at this point that we can create again, the safety in our body so that we can shift that focus of attention and then begin to attune to those signals. When we have the ability to tolerate more and more stress, we can go from stress to calm, to regulate it, to dropping in. And then when we begin to make, it's a lived experience, rebuilding trust. When we begin to listen to those signals and act on those signals, then over time, the byproducts will be something that we can trust. It doesn't just happen. We don't just, oh, self-trust and now I have it. Um, it really is an integrated process that again begins, of course, with our body and with our nervous system. I love that so much. Um, and without really kind of knowing, having with the, the eloquent words that you just put to it, um, I started to realize I was really just ignoring my gut instincts all the time and I wasn't tapping in. But also I, I was worried that I was going to my um, my conditioned self and that my beliefs of why something was happening was based on just uh, past beliefs that I had as a child. And so I was finding myself ignoring my gut instincts but I wasn't sure if it was because I was conditioned to ignore them or I was conditioned to believe that it was true. That made a sense. So what I started to do is I actually just started to take inventory of my intuition. And then over time, start to see whether my intuition was right or wrong and then start to assess. And I think it really did come down to like starting to listen versus like keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. I'm smiling. I actually had an example yesterday. Um... I knew I was going to kind of the Venice area to, to record a podcast and I happened to look at my flip-flops on my way, like in my bag on my way out. And I had a little bag packed and I, some, for some reason I noted flip-flops and then I thought, well, okay, well, I'm not wearing my flip-flops. I'm wearing these very fancy sparkly shoes. So I went to the podcast, long story short, after the podcast, I had some time and I was like, oh, I'm in Venice. I'm going to go to the beach. And these shoes are comfortable enough, but not very comfortable for walking. Definitely not beach shoes. And I thought, oh my God, that's why I pinged my flip-flops. How much I would love to have my flip-flops right now. And I didn't, I overrode in that small micro moment. But to speak to your point, we can attune. When are we overriding? And there's so many different weird signals that we get in any given day. Um, but that just being a really silly one, there was some reason, right, that my eye caught flip-flops when I was getting ready. It was knowing on some level that they would be helpful later. And I thought, oh, it was weird. Well, I don't need to be looking at those and completely overrode my instinct to want my flip-flops. And all I would have wanted later was my flip-flops. <laughs> right, right, right. Now imagine how many times we do that within a relationship where we just override some sort of idea or gut intuition about a partner or potential someone that you're dating. Oh my gosh, I'm sure too, even from the beginning. Um, and I think a lot of it happens when we're so focused on, do they like us? Are they going to want to go out with me another time? Are they enjoying what I'm saying right mm -hmm. now? Do they think I'm funny? Do they think I'm attractive, right? all of that focus is not on me, right? So how are we ever going to attune to, well, how do I feel sitting across from them? Do I think they're attractive? Do I think they're funny? Do mm. I want to go out with them again, right? And that's just a huge, I think, shift in focus. And many of us aren't primed to look inward first. We're primed to see how we're being assessed or desired, especially when dating with by someone else instead of, and if I think we were beginning to drop into ourselves, we would not only get indicators of whether or not we think they're attractive and want to see them again, right? We might actually get other pings that, you know, something they're saying is bringing up a red flag or a cause of concern. And we are, I think, not hearing them quite often. And another handful of times we're hearing them, but we're overriding them for whatever reason. We're lodging our way out of them or we're talking ourselves out of them for whatever reason. What up, guys? Now I'm going to share something with you. I can sometimes have a tendency to overthink question myself and 
sometimes or maybe very often doubt the decisions I've made and so my mind just starts spiralling round and around. Does that sound familiar? Well, let's face it, when it comes to hiring people on your team, the pressure to make the right choice, the right hire and the right person is even bigger. The stakes are so freaking high, so you need to actually make sure that you have the right tools to help you find the right people so that your team can actually have clarity and work with utter confidence. And that's why, honestly, you've got to go check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion, let me repeat that, a billion with a B, professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. And their simple tools make it so easy for you to filter candidates that actually have the skills and experience you are looking for, which saves you time. It's the one thing you're never going to get back is time. So hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's exactly why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So guys, go check them out. LinkedIn jobs can actually help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So go and post your job for absolutely free, guys, at linkedin.com slash Lisa. Once again, guys, that's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. Now, we've all had that one friend who chimes in with the old adage, if it's right, it should be easy advice when we're having relationship problems. But from my experience, homie, that's not at all true. Whether it's romantic, friendships or professional or relationships, all relationships require that you put the time and effort into growing and developing that relationship. And the best, most rewarding relationships happen when both people are willing to put in the freaking hard work to make that happen. I mean, that's certainly been mine and my husband of 21 years motto. So my homie, when you do actually face challenges in your relationship, therapy can be a great place to feel heard and work through it. And there's no easier or more convenient place to get started with therapy than with BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp is 100% online and flexible to fit wherever and however crazy your schedule is. Because that's the important part, that you can absolutely have BetterHelp navigate your current life with the bandwidth that you have. And all you have to do is answer a few questions to get matched with the therapist that actually can best help you and be catered to you. So guys, become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. So go visit betterhelp.com slash women today to get 10% off your first month. That's help, H-E-L-P dot com slash women. And so I love, by the way, the title of your book is so amazing. And do you think that like how to be the love you seek then gives you that foundation to then bring someone into into that dynamic with yourself that can then complement versus you're looking for something that is um, more external? Oh, I think 100%. I think when we attune to ourselves, when we peel back right, all these layers of conditioning, when we learn how to regulate through difficult emotions and navigate conflict and difference of opinion or able to be in self-trust and self-security, um, I think not only do we open up space and safety and security to get to know someone else authentically, where we're not domineering, controlling, indirectly manipulating them in some way, right? We're actually just receiving who they are. And then I think absolutely the natural byproduct of that becomes a safer, secure, more authentic relationship in and of itself. And do you advise that people do that whenever possible um, before they enter a relationship then? I think that, you know, wherever I'm imagining many people are in a relationship, I think change can, can begin at any moment. Um, and again, it can begin with just first exploring what the current, we have to see where we're at before we can create where we want to go. Um, and I think there's so much to explore in any given relationship at any time from what are the conditioned narratives or those beliefs, those thoughts running through your head. What are the you know habitual emotions that you t- tend to cycle in relationships? How do you navigate those emotions? What's your relationship with conflict? I think everything we've been exploring here today can be explored whether it's within your relationship with yourself because you're not in a relationship though again chances are you're relating with friends with colleagues with family even if you're not in a romantic relationship there's probably some interpersonal um you know aspect of your life and typically the same habits are probably present across the board or if you are in relationships i think becoming present and then gradually making those new choices to shift the dynamic communicating them of course to the partner that it might impact 
um, can help you create an incredible amount of change and can shift, um, as I did with Lolly, from a very much a dysfunctional trauma bond, habitual patterning, where we're again pinging off each other, like I was sharing earlier, around the dishes or that or this or that, into a much more calm, grounded, secure relationship. And so that that did that require you both having to do the work separately and then coming together? Because I'm just trying to picture like somebody listening right now is like, oh my God, okay, I've got to read the book. I love everything you guys are saying. Um, I'm going to go do that in my relationship. But if your partner isn't on that same wavelength, if they're not thinking the way you are, they're not trying to go inwards and see their dynamic, their conflict styles and all of that. Um, how do you navigate that? I think incredible change can happen when we focus on creating that safety and security. I have several ending chapters um, around the concept of co-regulation and the power of our heart. And the more grounded and safe we feel, the more, again, those unseen signals that we're sending out to the world. So unlike coming home and yelling and stressed out about my day or about the dishes, sending those signals of threat, the more we create literally that safe environment around us, the more that can sometimes help our partners relax into their own self-expression, begin to share stuff with us. Because as much as sometimes we want to just, oh, you don't tell me things or, you know, I want to hear more from you or what are you really thinking? I think sometimes we don't unconsciously realize the role we're playing, which is we don't feel safe. And we're not asking at a time where we're calm and grounded and or when we hear what they're really thinking, we have something to say or we react to it. So chances are, especially if that person has wounding from their own childhood, if they've been invalidated, if they've been, you know, all of the things minimized or, you know, kind of conversations have been avoided entirely, then they're not going to feel safe. So when we create that safety and security in our body, it literally kind of expands outward. And it might be then shifting the way we communicate or receive information could create incredible change, though, of course, then there's also the scenario that it also might not, right? We might come to a place where we do want or need a different level of reciprocity or of support um, from our partner. So, of course, having two individuals becoming consciously aware, becoming open to these communications, beginning to shift their dynamic, I think, is, is most helpful. Um, But it's not to say that it can't, one-sided change can't happen, um, especially if sometimes much of the cycling is within us as well, right? If we shift what we're imagining to be the case to actually receive what is the case, then the conflict itself might go away. Mm. Um, And then also I can imagine in that dynamic to be careful not to shame the other person. Because when you're doing a lot of the internal work, right, you really do like, oh my God, you need to read this book, you need to like do all this work. And if somebody's slightly resistant, I can imagine that that dynamic starts to shift where that person, especially if they've had that from childhood, now you're triggering them extra by making them feel badly that maybe they're not doing the work. Absolutely. Um, And I, you know, anytime and sometimes from a very well-intentioned way, very well-meaning, right? Mm -hmm. We're having all this insight, it's creating such an impact in our life. Um, even outside of romantic relationships, I see this a lot of times in families, right? We want our mom, our dad, you know, we want to like gift this book around and get people to see and do these things differently. Um, and I think sometimes hand in hand with that, go, you know, we can be a little bit minimizing, shaming. Um, we can, you know, say mean things when they don't receive what it is, our gift of knowledge or our gift of change. Um, And that's the reality. Again, we can't control other people. We can't hurry them along on their process. We can't expand their blinders and just get them to see, even if we calmly and rationally communicate our perspective to them with our tools to them. It really is, as the book begins, an internal job. It really takes someone's willingness um, to let in your perspectives, your information, to actually then receive it and be able to utilize it. So, yeah, sometimes I do think we can become even. Well, a mean-spirited joke. So I'm just joking, right? When we're kind of teasing someone who's like not in the same place that we are on our journey. Um, I think a lot of times we can use humor to deliver backhanded messages that can be really hurtful, especially to speak to your point if that person has been shamed in their childhood or for whatever reason. Now, if you do the work though, if you're in a relationship, I can see that a romantic relationship and they're not willing to, obviously, you, hopefully you find yourself in a position where if it's not right for you, you can leave. Um, but when it does become a family dynamics, a lot more complicated, there's so many more um, deep rooted, seeded issues. Um, but you said earlier that you decided that you had to distance yourself from your family for, I believe you said a year and a half. 
Um, how did you go about doing that? And that's really brave. Like, I really want to say that. Like, that's, it's very hard, I think, for especially, you know, you coming from an Italian family, me coming from a Greek family, I think I would be shamed more for doing that because everybody else would perceive that as like going against your religion, your culture, like everything. Um, how did you do it? And then now knowing that you've basically been able to reconnect with your family, what did that all look like? Yeah, very similar. Um, culturally, one of my major mantras going up is family is everything. Um, even so much so that I made the choice when I was looking for somewhere to move from New York City, where I was living for almost a decade, I moved back to Philadelphia thinking I wanted to be near my family. And especially as my mom continued to have um, health issues and health concerns, um, that guilt was there, that kind of pressure to be at, whether it was family dinner or my mom's like, you know, very consistent doctor's appointments or navigating whatever health crisis it was. It was always this expectation that not only that I be there, but that in a lot of ways I became, because I'm the doctor of the family, right, relied on um, emotionally to support, to make sense, to understand and to navigate um, everything that was happening. So I've come to the awareness that I have no boundaries, that I don't know who I am, that I'm overstepping my limits, trying to please my family and right, be the perfect daughter, be the perfect sister, and that I needed a bit of space. And so what that meant for me in practicality was I need to stop being ever available on the receiving end of phone calls at whatever hour, right? Whenever it is that they think they need me, I need to like not be immediately available. I can obviously assess the nature of the circumstance and the emergency. And more often than not, it wasn't an emergency. It mm -hmm. was just this habitual cycle of you're on the receiving end of my phone call when I call. And if you're not there and available, I get worried something could be wrong. Usually it goes down to, does something happen to you health-wise? Are you okay? Are you alive even? So after trying to put boundaries and be less available over phone contact, less available, you know, for all of these endless family obligations, I was continuously met with that high level of alert, high level of concern, where I would actually get, Jesus Christ, Nicole, where are you? Just tell us you're alive. So me trying to enact a boundary, and I'm not asking you to change, mom, dad, sister, whomever, right? I'm saying you keep calling me at all hours when you need to. What I'm going to do different, right, boundary, is I'm not going to be available. But what I was continuously met with because of the high anxiety and what distance meant for all of us, I was met with a continued escalation of their reactivity, which left me then, as I felt at least at the time, no option but to ask for, um, or to take, I should say, I didn't necessarily ask for it, I stayed it, um, to take some, some time away. Um, and I had no idea how much time that I would want or need away, nor did I have any idea of how they would even react um, to my request or, or statement that I did need to step away from the family. And there was the possibility in the back of my mind that I might not be welcomed um, back on the other side of it. So when I say it was the most difficult decision of my life, it was the most difficult because it was the first time in my life that I was putting me before these relationships that were so and still are so incredibly important to me and that I had learned to always put before myself. So it was a, a practice really, not only symbolically, um, but for my inner child in a lot of ways of for the first time, like defining that I matter, that it doesn't matter who's on the receiving end as much as I do want to be, you know, supportive and, and a part of my family. I knew I could not continue to do so in that dynamic without, without space. Um, so I took space. I actually did it by sending a, a very long detailed email because I was very nervous to communicate in person. Um, I did not trust the way I would deal with how they reacted inevitably when they broke down, when they screamed, when they yelled, when they told me I couldn't do that, when my mom cried, as I'm sure was all the case uh, behind the scenes. I didn't trust that I would be able to stand in my boundary and take that space anyway. Um, and I also knew that there was a lot that I wanted to share um, and it didn't yet feel comfortable for me to vulnerably share with them um, different aspects of my experience growing up. So I wrote it all in an email. So and you explained your why as well. I explained my, just... my complete why. I explained like, I'm on this journey. Here's what I've come to the awareness of, that there's, you know, no boundaries and they're a problem. They're affecting me negatively in the following ways. And here are some things that, you know, I haven't brought up since childhood that have really hurt me. Um, in terms of this lack of dynamic or in terms of the way the dynamic is in the family. So I voiced um, a lot of my experience. And at the end, I just very, you know, calmly was like, and, you know, so I'm going to ask for you to respect that I'm going to be taking some some time away just to kind of 
be with myself and explore what all of all of this means. And this means that there will be, you know, no contact. Um, again, I did block them because I was so concerned that if they don't receive this well, if they do start to send me the same kind of text that I had gotten, right? I was just going on habits and the patterns that, you know, had been there. So I anticipate it, you know, more or less that I would get some version of anger or guilt, um, depending on who it was from or statement that I can't do this and not trusting that I wouldn't respond or react then to their plea. Um, I told them that, you know, I was going to be blocking them so that I would not be able to respond and that, you know, I kind of just left it open-ended because I did not know at that point I was really broken down about it. Um, it was the most difficult email to ever push send on. I had all of this fear racing through my body. I had a lot of concern about my mom um, as she was aging. I thought, oh my gosh, she's, you know, all I've ever worried about is losing my mom my entire life. Now she actually is up in age with health issues. And here I am now, the little time I could have with her left. What if she dies? What if something happens? Right. All of this racing through my body, really compelling me to say, you know what? I, I don't mean it. I, yeah, that's I'll what be I a family dinner on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> We're eating, you know? How did you go then from that to then like actually pressing send? Because so everyone listening right now, I guarantee you is absolutely relating to this story in some way or another. Now, when you're relating to it, the thing is that stops everyone from actually sending that email is the guilt. Is everything you just said of what if my mom dies? Oh my God, how am I going to feel if my mom died? And I sent her the letter and I never got a chance to see her again. Yeah. And that guilt is exactly what holds people from sending that email. Yeah. I, in that moment, I held space for all of that. And I also held space for the possibility that if all of the things I imagine, all the worst case scenarios, if they were true, I held space for the possibility that I would still be okay. Mm. Right. That I would find a way. I might be devastated. I might have all, you know, more guilt um, to lay upon the already erupting guilt that I was feeling. But I was already starting to kind of build that foundation of, of trust um, and of this kind of solace in that knowing that that was the decision that I wanted and needed and that I could over time navigate whatever the byproduct of this decision was. So I wasn't fully there in terms of trust, but I was getting um, to that place where I was, you know, in, in a sense of like, OK, and that all could happen. And you will find a way to be okay if that does happen, because that was the only thing that I could kind of, that, that was the belief that I wanted to feed um, at that moment. So I did, I took, I took a lot of time away. Um, I continued on my journey of continuing to create more self-trust, more boundaries in all my relationships that really bled out. Um, when you could do it with your family, it really became much easier mm -hmm. to start to say no at work <laughs> yeah. and start to say no and be more honest with even friendships in terms of you know, what, what I was interested in, what would work, what wouldn't work. So that really kind of set a ball in motion. And then probably about, it was very difficult though, the first round of holidays, of birthdays, like, oh, I'm not there. They're not wishing me happy birthday. Mm -hmm. Like, how are they, you know, navigating me not being present and all of the different places my mind went. Um, and then I started to shift and the way I was thinking about them wasn't necessarily in guilt, was in openness, was in curiosity. Um, I started to feel much more centered in myself and my ability to navigate not only the big disappointment that I imagine I was when I took the space, but anything that they could kind of be feeling as a result and that I knew I would be met with. Um, so when that consistently started to happen, that I was like, oh, you know, I, I wonder, I, I do want to know how they are. I'm open to knowing that I would have to continue to show up differently now, stand in these continued boundaries that I had already created not take responsibility for whatever circumstances had happened since I had been gone or would continue to happen into the future. And having had practice for that 18 months, I was starting to feel confident um, that I could do that and that I could handle, um, even if it was rejection that I received. So similarly, I sent an email because um, I, I didn't want to assume that they even wanted contact with me. So it was a much shorter email where I kind of just shared with them what my year and a half had been like and that I was you know, really open to a, just a conversation to see kind of where they were, how they are, and what they too want it for the future. Um, and they near immediately responded back to me, actually sharing that not only were they kind of... Was this everybody responded back or individually? I had sent the email as a joint to my dad, my sister, and my mom, because mm -hmm. they were kind of my core family. I have a brother, but he's much more on the periphery. Um, and then 
it was a, yes, a kind of family sign. Collective. A collective. <laughs> um, I'm quite sure my sister typed it up. I'm quite sure with the help of the therapist that they were seeing. Oh. Um, so it came back to me, but it was like kind of like from the gang kind of feel. Though they then disclosed to me that they had been in individual and in family therapy. Um, because or since you were there? That, that my leaving kind of woke them up to the need to do things a bit differently. So they sought all of that out on their own. Um, and they actually had asked and requested, which I wholeheartedly agreed with, that the first time we speak um, would be in a family therapy session. Mm. And I thought that that was a great idea, again, because of the contained boundaries. They already had an established relationship. I went to their family therapist. I attended. And yeah, so I like signed. I was sitting in my Venice apartment and I went to the back bedroom and I signed on to a Zoom link. And that was the first time I had seen them um, in a year and a half. And then that just opened up a conversation where, of course, I allowed them to share all of the different levels of impact, how it was to receive that email, how it's been since, where they're at now. Um, there was anger. There was sadness. Um, there was gratitude even a bit. Um, and since then, it's just been we had several sessions actually within family therapy before we migrated the relationship and kind of shared phone numbers again. I think I'd gotten a new phone number by then. Um, so I had to give them my new phone number. And before we kind of decided to begin to navigate our relationship outside of that safe container of therapy. Um, and since then, honestly, it's just been my sister continues to express gratitude um, for the awareness that that allowed her to have as devastating. I know they were all very greatly impacted, um, though my sister had come to really rely on me and our relationship. And we really much we had a, a lot of codependency within the whole family, but with her and I in particular. And she's been just really grateful and has grown in so many ways. And the relationship now structurally between myself and her and myself and my dad just is different. Um, there's boundaries now. There's a mutual respect. There's not an immediacy of expectation that someone be ever available. There's not a personalization when someone's not available. There's an understanding that there's other things going on um, in my world in their world. So it's really, it's been a gift. As difficult as it was, um, the growth that has happened on the other side of it. So I, I do hope that listeners, you know, because family dynamics are really hard to change. And sometimes you have to make decisions that were never anything I would have ever imagined making. I never in a million years would have imagined, you know, kind of cutting off my family as so many of us, you know, kind of call it and feel it and putting them through that. Though the other side of it has just been such a a transformation. Did you process what would you have felt or done if they hadn't emailed you back? I could imagine that the concern of being re-triggered or going back to the childhood trauma. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of moments where that was, of course, the hope was that that wasn't going to be the case. Mm -hmm. um, though while I can't fully remember um, all of the different silent treatments um, I do remember one, I was, you know, 19 and it was actually a little over a month and a half long um, when my mom had come to find out that I was gay and her way of expressing her disapproval, allegedly for my girlfriend at the time, not because I was gay, though she did get on board with my next relationship quite quickly. So perhaps that was true. Um, I do somewhat have a recollection of of the pain of that. I know that there were many more silent treatments. My sister has somewhat of a recollection of many more silent treatments in childhood, though I can't necessarily place the feeling, mm. um, though my body can. Um, so in those moments, even when I wasn't in contact with them, that space in and of itself act absolutely activated that like existential crisis of right the abyss of, oh my gosh, no family. Like, what if they never come back again? What if something happens and they die? So they're not even available to come back on the other end. Um, so that was all very much alive. When you're out there trying to build and grow your business, but you have so much going on in other areas of your life, be it with your family or your romantic partner or your homies, whatever else you've got going on, you need to be using the best tools available to save time and actually see growth in your company this year, right? And that's why, guys, I really recommend that you go and check out Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell every stage of your business, whether you're just starting out, selling badass necklaces online, or scaling your high-end beauty products to physical stores. Shopify's got you covered, my homie, and their award-winning customer support is ready to help you at every step of your journey. Because let's face it, when you get stuck, you need help. 
Now, what I love about Shopify is that you can make the most of your time and sell more with less effort. Who doesn't love that? Now you actually have time for self-care, which, let's face it, is super freaking important. Now, with this built-in AI and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to take your business to the next level. It's actually no surprise, guys, that Shopify powers 10% of all, all e-commerce in the U.S., That's insane. So sign up for only $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash Lisa. Now grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Lisa. There is so much confusing and conflicting information out there about what is a healthy diet, right? But my rule of thumb, guys, is that if you focus on eating high-quality animal-based proteins rather than cheaper, over-processed meals with a ton of junk ingredients with long words that you just can't pronounce, then you'll immediately be surprised at how much better and how different you feel. That absolutely is how it was for me, guys, when I was recovering from crippling stomach issues that I wasn't able to eat much at all. And then I found ButcherBox. It was amazing because I could finally eat meat that didn't make me feel sick or bloated or just hunched over in agony. And guys, I'm telling you, never looked back. I am their biggest, most avid fan. And that's because ButcherBox's unbelievable high standard qualities in their product is guaranteed. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers the highest quality meats and seafood ships directly to your door. Every month, you can let ButcherBox curate a box of high quality cuts for you, or you can actually customize, if you're like me and very picky, you can customize your box with the exact things and the cuts that you are looking for and prioritize your favorite stuff. So guys, it is actually easy to eat better this year with the best meats and seafood on the freaking planet delivered right to your door. And ButcherBox is right now offering our listeners, that's you guys, your choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for absolutely free in every order for a year. Like, that's so insane. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited about this offer because I truly love the brand. Plus, actually, I got so excited, I forgot to tell you this. You get $20 off your first order. So just give it a try. Click the link in the show notes or go to butcherbox.com slash W-O-I and use code W-O-I to choose your free offer and get $20 off your order right now. When you're working really hard to build the freaking amazing life and career that you want, it's sadly really easy to push your health needs to the back burner. And guys, listen, I totally get it because not all that long ago, that was me. I put everything into my business, everything into my goals and my family. And yep, I totally ignored my own health and wellness. And so I just learned the very hard way that putting your well-being first is actually the key to being a confident un-freaking-stoppable badass in everything that you do. So, my homie, put yourself first and get mentally and physically strong with Aloe Moves, your go-to app for everything from meditation to yoga to strength training to hit and so much more. And I love how Allo Moves has such a wide variety of class types and levels to keep you motivated with whatever you need on your journey. No matter what your path is, it's time to make a move with Allo Moves. So right now, guys, you can go and get a free 30-day Allo Moves subscription by going to allomoves.com and use code WOI30. That's Allo, A-L-O, moves.com, code WOI30 in all caps. Allomoves.com, code WOI30, all caps. Um, and... Thank you for sharing the story, mm-hmm. by the way. It's so freaking powerful. And I, it's so um, admirable and brave of you to have done it and then stick to your guns. Because again, I think that it sounds amazing, but everyone's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then that real fear of being rejected or not feeling wanted, especially if that's potentially a core wound of yours, um, to have to then, you almost like, uh, you, you in your actions, you are reliving it. And it's due to the thing that you've done, that you're showing up. And so, so many people don't send that email. Um, and so my curiosity is, how did that impact then your relationships with your partner? Yeah. Um, so like kind of practice in a relationship, especially a core one, um, you know, of putting up a boundary, of even sending that message that, wait a minute, I'm here too. 
um, absolutely trickled over. Um, I started to be able to more easefully um, stand in my own space, you know, explore the moments where I wanted or needed something different um, than what my partner wanted or needed or that was available to me in that moment. It had given me a little bit of, you know, kind of that self-sufficiency, like, okay, like I, I can do this. Like I did something incredibly hard, right? I was so subconsciously reliant on this idea of my family and this emotional support that I imagine they gave me that when I really came down to it, I realized that they weren't really emotionally available. I was connected to them in a superficial way. And once I kind of not only logically worked through that, but showed myself that like, okay, emotionally, I, I spent a lot of time crying and being devastated and I was still okay. So I was kind of gaining my own tools of, of soothing my own big emotions and rebuilding that deeper sense of emotional trust. Um, and then that bled over um, into how I navigate it, not being so reliant always on my partner to take away, right, when I'm feeling bad, to be available to me when I need support um, and to like create the space to, to honor when there are moments like I was sharing of, of differing ones, of differing needs, to be able to have boundaries, to tolerate space. Um, within my relationships, Lolly naturally, um, since when we met, like I was sharing, I was a very independent, was raised um, with a lot of independence within her family. So naturally from the beginning, very much challenged me when she needed time or space just away from stimulation and away from socializing or wanted to pursue her interest or whatever was, you know, kind of something that was on her mind at the time. And initially that was very challenging because that all indicated space, bad. You shouldn't want distance from me and there's something wrong with our relationship. And when I actually took space from my core relationships, it created the opportunity to be able to teach myself that I actually could tolerate not only giving Lolly space, but open myself to the possibility that, wait a minute, I might need space too. <laughs> you know, it's natural for a human to need time away, even from our core partners, to just be in our own energy, to be able to actually embrace solitude, um, you know, not stillness is something scary like it once was, but that kind of replenishing nature. Um, now, I mean, I'm on this trip by myself and my partner's at home and I'm like, oh, I, I'm enjoying this so much because I get to just be with me um, and connect with my friends. And that's, you know, what I actually need. So, I mean, the byproducts of that really huge life-changing choice within my family are continuing to just kind of play out in all of this new, more secure way. Being far apart from someone, having a different need or interest in any given moment doesn't lessen the connection. Um, for a lot of us, it actually builds the connection and the security in it. Mm, I love that. And um, Tom and I call it selfish time. So it's mm. like, babe, what do you want to do for your selfish time? Because we just, every weekend, it's, I know you're going to want a time to do either something that I don't want to do or right. do something by yourself. Right. And so having that discussion about what do you want to do? And then we take that time where he goes and does his thing. And that's when I draw. That's like the kind of going inwards for me. But we have this almost like the dialogue between us. So then neither of us ever feel neglected or, you know, dismissed or abandoned or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I'm always so inspired when I watch the two of you as you share, you, you navigating those moments. Because again, I think a lot of us have this expectation that we share the same interests with our partners or the same desire for how our free time is spent or even our energy cycles are the same and you should want to go do something mm -hmm. when really maybe I just want to sit on the couch and we're not energetically aligned or again emotionally there could be things coming up for one partner and a desire to do something different than what is available or what the other partner wants mm -hmm. so I think when we again realize that we're two separate people with two separate perspectives two separate wants and desires it doesn't have to it can many times strengthen um, that security of connection because you can come and rejoin and come back together to your home base even if you are pursuing different hobbies or interests or tending to your needs in a different way in any given moment. Yeah. Um, I want to go some, back to something actually you just said where you said that um, there are moments so after you had um, as you were kind of rebuilding yourself I guess is the word that I will use and you said there were many times where you were just crying and in tears and you know like I'm, I'm just picturing like this devastation of having to make that change um and then you said i but i knew that i was going to be okay how did you know because in those moments it doesn't actually feel like you're going to be okay sometimes it does feel like all the walls and the ceilings all coming down at you yeah and the reason why it can feel so all-consuming is because again we've activated the living memory of a time where it, it wasn't okay mm. where it was 
overwhelming, mm -hmm. where there wasn't another side, you didn't have the tools, right? We needed that human to be the one to make us feel okay. Mm -hmm. And now they're not physically present or they're not emotionally present. So I just like to give language to um, those inconsolable, all-consuming moments because they're real. They're nothing to shame us out of. We're literally going back to a time and, to a, and a place where things weren't okay and we didn't know. There was the possibility that they might not be okay if someone doesn't come back to physically care for us in childhood. I mean, we don't continue to live on, right? Emotionally, if someone doesn't come back to help us, to tend to us and to help us regulate, we do become consumed by whatever it is that we're feeling, the stress or the upset. So I want to normalize why those, those things happen. Um, and I was able to, and we're able to kind of build a foundation of okayness, even if it's just an idea that we're affirming, um, when we again begin to build a practice of returning our body ourself or of seeking support. So by that point, I was already reconnecting with my body. I was always very, I was becoming very aware of my nervous system. I was learning new ways to regulate um, through the physiological reaction that was happening. Um, and I was opening my blinders as I was sharing to the actual supportive partner um, that I had available to me. I mean, Lolly was with me through that whole experience of coming to the decision that I needed to step away, sending the email, and then in the aftermath of it. So her and I were, you know, kind of building a, a safety and a support um, within the relationship itself. So not only was I becoming a little more confident in my ability to, and reminding myself that I wasn't in that overwhelm, I didn't have to be at least overwhelmed anymore. I had tools that I could begin to use, including the support of a partner and, a, or of course, for listeners, this could be a friend, this could be a supportive professional, right? Actually relying on the support in those moments when we don't feel okay, which means that we have to sometimes share our deepest, darkest, shameful thing that we are feeling all consumed and we don't believe we're going to be okay so that we can actually let the support in that we might need. How did you build that skill set then? And then instead of just relying then on your partner to be there as a substitute for what you, what's missing? Right. I, I continue to like remind myself um, that she could not be the only person, right? Why? That makes me okay. Because um, I do think that can be a natural thing that happens. Oh, well, you're not here. I'll just find someone else it is. Or, you know, and I'll just now overly rely on you. I'd been aware of my habit to do that so that I could kind of, you know, be that hovering presence to notice, um, especially in those moments where I was inconsolable and all I wanted her to do was take away the feeling, right? Actually actively reminding myself that that feeling wasn't anything she created. Um, I was feeling that that deep, you know, grief that overwhelm, whatever it was, because I was feeling that, because I was feeling that because I once felt that, and that I was feeling that because I didn't feel like I had the ability to feel any other way. So when we project this idea that people can take away our emotions, I do think, again, we set up an unattainable cycle for both people because she could have showed up in the most perfect way possible, and she's not going to remove that deep hole that I have that my family and my relationship to these core people are gone. No one can take that away from me. And then I leave her feeling um, ill-equipped, unable to be supportive. And depending on how I'm reacting, when she's not making me feel better, right, we can actually become really conflicted um, and I can shut myself off. So it's, again, just this constant dance of becoming aware of ourself enough that we can drop in and shift out of that very hyper-focused um, idea of, okay, this is too much. I can't take this. So wait a minute. This is a lot. And I can do, do something, though I can't rely totally on this one person. So it's kind of being our own conscious presence to coach ourselves through it um, and to remind ourselves to use some of the tools and to support ourselves too, just as much as we're relying on someone else. Mm. And becoming the love that we seek. And becoming the love that we seek. And I think that really comes back to, right, to give and to receive. Um, and teaching ourselves not only in theory, but how to actually give and receive. Because again, there's still a very vulnerable part of me, like played out between you and I, that in those moments where I am unconsolable, I don't actually want my partner to see, mm -hmm. right? I want to make it about her and something <laughs> she's not doing in the moment when in reality, it's, it's not about her. It's about my deep grief that I'm feeling about just what is. And there's nothing that she can do in any direction. Um, so I think it's always, you know, that kind of reminder that to 
receive the support, we have to ask for the support. And then we have to receive the support or the love. Dude, that's so strong. Because, yeah, in your book where you were saying, you know, we instinctually say it's them, right? They're like this. That's why that relationship didn't work. They didn't bring this to the table. They were, But to be able to go in inwards and really ask yourself, what are you bringing to the table? How are you showing up? Um, I think is so powerful, like that ownership. And then if you're then become the love that you seek, now you're, um, the person with you, your partner, becomes additive, not instead of. Really beautiful way to think about it, right? They can enhance, they can complement, um, they can bring a different perspective at times. I think this mm-hmm. is another kind of aspect of of what I would define as authentic love, which is sometimes being the person to offer that distance perspective, taking that blinder away, even if it's something difficult. Um, having the hard conversation, um, you know, kind of what inspired a lot of my reality and my realization, I should say, within my family was Lolly was her being present to me in the days leading up to a family visit and experiencing this increased agitation and this nitpicking that I would do and these fights that would happen between us. And then we'd be at my family's house and she'd be alongside of me trying to just enjoy time. And I'd be, you know, sparking orders at her or being mean to her outright. And then the emotional fallout would last for days after. And as much as I wanted to deny it when she had to sit me down in a very calm way and say, Nicole, I'm noticing this cycle. You seem very stressed out and agitated for essentially a week around your family's visit. And quite honestly, you treat me in a very mean way um, as a result of it, right? And I wanted to deny and say, how dare you say this to me? That's not what's happening. That's not true at all. And how, you know, you're being inconsiderate of my need for having my family relationship. And in reality, she was being none of that. She was actually giving me a gift of a different perspective. She was allowing me to try on, and I didn't just take it for her word for it, I then explored myself. Mm. Coming up to the next visit, I noticed, oh my God, Nicole, you are feeling agitated. Sunday is looming, right? Like this big, terrible thing, because in reality, you don't want to go. And look at all the ways you're taking out. You're not wanting to go. You are nitpicking more. And then when you are there, you're so on edge, trying to zoom around and just keep the family happy and put on the performance and be connected in whatever way is possible that you actually are being snippy and mean and snarky to Lolly. So I saw it for myself. Um, so sometimes when we're talking about being the love, you know, it's offering someone that very gentle nudge of awareness because we can't see for ourselves. And being open to hearing that from the people around you that you very much trust and not just shutting them down because it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So that tendency was there from the mm. beginning and it can be. It can take a bit of time to relax into, okay, I can hear this difficult thing. My mind might say, no, you're wrong, but let me see. And you might be wrong, but you might be right. And when you're right, and when you can see a different perspective or a different experience of yourself, I think that's what can open the door for a lot of incredible change mm. in the relationship. And if you try to open your heart, what I do with Thomas, because I trust him so much, when he says something, I'm like, okay, this is uncomfortable, but what if he's right? Like, how can this actually help you, Lisa, instead of being a problem that now you have to overcome? Right. Because I think so easily we do. We hear a different perspective as a personal attack. Mm-hmm. Right. As someone's trying to like minimize us or, or invalidate us or be mean by saying it. I think the more we have experience with someone, um, the more, even if that's our instinctual reaction, the more we can maybe actively remind ourselves that this person has, if not our best interest, the relationship best interest at mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not just trying to tear us down or say something mean that they might be speaking from, you know, their experience, even if we can't. We don't agree with it or we can't say it immediately. Um, it could have benefit for the relationship ultimately. Yeah. Oh, my homie, where can people find you, all the amazing things you're doing and your new book? Absolutely. Um, so the book is available wherever books are sold. Um, I have a new website, howtobeloveyouseek.com. So you could take a look. There's a whole list of retailers, though, wherever you buy a book, hopefully it'll be stocked there. Um, at this point, we're across all of the social media platforms. It all began on the Instagram, the holistic.psychologist. <laughs> yeah, um, but at this point, whether it's TikTok or Threads or Twitter X, um, whatever we're calling it these days, there's a version of the holistic psychologist handle you can drop into the search bar. Um, reviving our YouTube channel. So come find us on YouTube. I'll be putting out some new videos starting in the next couple of weeks. Working to be confident and freaking badass can be very difficult. Now, I get it, guys. I get it. Kicking ass and taking names 
takes energy. But when it comes to micronutrients, you're like, wait, how much vitamin B do I need? It can be a daily freaking struggle to figure out and meet that perfect nutrition balance that you need to feel strong, focused and energized, which of course are all the things you need to become a freaking confident badass. So it's time to arm your body with every nutrient it absolutely deserves with AG1. Now, if you're a long-time listener, you might know that I've actually been supporting AG1 for many years now. And that's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So if you want to take ownership of your life, That actually means you have to take ownership over your health. And it all starts, guys, with AG1. So guys, go and try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go now to drinkag1.com slash Lisa. That's drinkag1.com slash Lisa. Go check it out. What up, my homie? First, I just want to actually thank you. Like from the bottom of my heart, sincerely, absolutely thank you for your support, your support for me, your support for the show, Women of Impact. Like you have no actual idea how much this really means to me when I had that original vision of what I wanted to do and no one was listening. So thank you. Thank you for being here and actually supporting other women along this journey. And I'm going to be honest, if you actually want to level up your confidence game, my homie, then check out Women of Impact's subscription channel. It's specifically designed to help you in every aspect that you're looking for. Now, here's what you get. You get new episodes delivered ad-free. You get exclusive access to listen to Women of Impact roundtable discussions, weekly motivation, previously unreleased episodes, and that's just the beginning. Subscriber-only access to an additional four podcasts with hundreds of archived Women of Impact episodes meticulously, meticulously curated into theme playlists and updated weekly so that you get the dose that you need. So if you're looking to boost your confidence, then go and check out the Get Confidence playlist. If you want to repair, heal, or start a relationship, then go check out Love Lab. And if you're wondering how you get your health back on track so that you can keep showing up to have the confidence that you're looking for, then go check out Health Hub. And of course, this wouldn't be complete without my weekly boost of mini motivations from moi. That's right, it'll have you strutting down the street with your head held high, feeling like a freaking badass. And guess what the playlist is called? The badass boost, of course. So guys, don't settle for mediocrity when you can absolutely be extraordinary. So guys, subscribe to Women of Impact channel today on Apple Podcasts or Supercast. But no matter where you're listening, guys, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music or any other platform, make sure you're following so you don't miss out on other episodes. And don't forget to check out the show notes for more information on this episode, our incredible sponsors and upcoming events.